Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Well, maybe you thought this band was someone else. And maybe you're thinking, didn't they have a few other hits? The reality is that while Candlebox did well enough on alternative radio to get a main stage slot at Woodstock 94, they only had one song that charted on the Billboard Hot 100. The powerful demo, yes, demo, Far Behind, became their signature song, launching their debut album to quadruple platinum status. But did we treat Candlebox bad? Join us and special guest Mike Sabosley to find out. So, Mike, interesting fact. This is your first time back on One Hit Thunder since you were on our very first episode. So welcome back. Thank you. What episode is this? This is, well, we have no clue what the order is going to be, but this is almost episode 200. Okay. I want to make sure We'll say hypothetically 199 episodes have passed since you were last on the show. It's not because we didn't ask you. You just probably couldn't do it. I've been busy. Oh, Okay. You used to like the podcast. <laughs> How many uh, one-hit wonders are there? Because if you're already, I feel like you might have five shows left. If so you already did 200. So I said this recently that there have been VH1 has done multiple top 100 one-hit wonders of every decade. So theoretically, 
There's like 700. <laughs> we also bend our rules and do bullshit like Rick Springfield. So like, yeah, who knows? The, they'll, they'll never not be options. And speaking of that, today we're talking about Candlebox Far Behind. This was your choice. But is Candlebox a one hit wonder? Because they had another single that did pretty well, right? So yes and no. So the thing is, this is going to be one of those classic. If you listened to alternative rock radio in the 90s, Candlebox is a two, maybe even a three hit wonder to you. But if you were listening to Top 40, it's it's far behind or nothing. Was was Did Far Behind break the Top 40? Far Behind got to 18 on the Top okay. 40. So, right. so it's a Top 20 mainstream hit. Um, the rest, yeah. I mean, you, for me, I knew the song You before I knew Far Behind. Wow. Which it was the single release before this song. I was listening to radio enough to know that song first. Then you was on 120 minutes a lot. That was my introduction to Candlebox. Yeah, I was going to say, you seem like a guy who'd be real into Candlebox. <laughs> Were you? That's not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the album. They didn't have like that cool factor, you know? Oh. Well, the why? other grunge bands hated them. What, what, what about them made you feel like they didn't have the cool factor? What, what, Okay, are we talking about like grunge bands that had the cool factor? I, they just didn't have like the lead singer looked like a kid that would be in class with me, and he uh-huh. like and he looked like one of the real smart kids that like hung out with the the bad kids. You thought that Kevin from Candlebox looked like the real smart kid. <laughs> Interesting. He was in yeah. He would be like in advanced chemistry, but he would hang out with like Lou and. Weebles on the weekend, <laughs> Lou and Weebles, <laughs> and then just talk about like how cool Lou and Weebles were, and okay. brag about not studying for the test, and what then a, he would get them all right. What an interesting take! Yeah, it's I a didn't wild think, take. I didn't think that we were going to go there. What bands do you think did have the cool factor at this time? It's nineteen ninety three, ninety three. So like pavement. Oh, pavement had the cool factor. I thought they had the opposite of cool factor, but. Actually, I guess it's 94. The album came out in 93, but these singles, they're they're becoming popular early 94 at hmm. this point. Okay. I mean, cool because they were weird, you mean? Cool in a weird sense, yeah. But also, like, I would compare um, Candlebox to, like, Collective Soul. Exactly who I was thinking of, right. Who was the only other rock band on the top 20 at the time that this song peaked They Shine by Collective Soul was at 15. So so you, you put... You put <laughs> Or Candlebox more in the lane with Collective Soul than you would like Stone Temple Pilots or Pearl Alice Jam, James, Soundgarden. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I do. I they remind me of like Skid Row or Alice in Chains. I think is hmm. Okay, in their wheelhouse. Wow. Okay. So, um, or so ugly, he, ugly Kid Joe too. Wow. I said that last night. Uh, their drummer, when their drummer quit, he was replaced with the drummer from Ugly Kid Joe. And I said, that makes sense. <laughs> it's some weird way that makes sense in my brain. That's that's interesting. So they were walking the line of like, not truly grunge. Because was ugly, I guess Ugly Kid Joe was walking that line between yeah. like hair metal and grunge, right? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the story of Candlebox because it is interesting. Yeah. So Candlebox formed in 1990 in Seattle. And they had from almost the, the jump a weird relationship with the other Seattle bands. And based on how you hear it from different people, it's different things. Courtney Love fucking hated them. She thought that they were 
posers. She would <laughs> accuse them of flying in from L.A. to form a band to ride the coattails of the Seattle Sound. Uh, she's, this was in the same interview where she said that she hated Alanis Morissette because Alanis Morissette got signed to be the safe version of Hole, which is a very dramatic misreading of Alanis Morissette's place yeah. in music. Yeah. But according to uh, the lead vocalist, Kevin... He was like, I worked at a shoe store when I was a teenager, and that shoe store happened to be attached to a recording studio where Chris Cornell's girlfriend at the time was recording all these cool bands, and I became really good friends with Chris Cornell and Lane Staley and Andrew Wood, who would come into the store all the time and hang out and talk because they knew I liked that type of music. And he's like, and I felt like the cool kid at the table because these older guys who I looked up to were encouraging me to make music. So I formed this band with my friends and then he's like, all those dudes who encouraged me were not there to defend me when 1994 came around and all the other Seattle bands were like, fuck these posers. And he like had kind of a contentious relationship with that. He never said that he disliked any of those dudes, but he said it felt like they were off doing their own thing because they had all blown up. But then like the new bands that were coming out of Seattle felt like Candlebox didn't deserve to blow up the way that their band deserved okay. to blow up from Seattle. And a big part of it was that, you know, Nirvana, a lot of those bands were signed to like these kind of cool indie labels. They were on Sub Pop first and they were on mm. like DCG first. Their first label offer was from Madonna's Maverick Records and at a time where Madonna wasn't signing rock bands. Mm -hmm. Since then, I put down a list of all the rock bands that were on Maverick before it collapsed. Got Alanis Morissette, Bad Brains, Deftones, Family Force 5, Goldfinger, Jack's Mannequin, Mest, The Muse, Story of the Year, Tantric, and The Prodigy at some point were on Maverick Records. Yeah, I don't think there's any real shame in Maverick Records or anything. No, yeah. but I think that at the time it was Madonna and Madonna-like artists and Candlebox. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what's this bullshit? <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so... People felt people in Seattle felt like they didn't have cred. Yeah. Well, what the hell does do they care? Yeah. They got a huge song. Yeah. I mean, the uh the quote from I told you this quote earlier, but the lead singer of the Flaming Lips said, Candlebox is sometimes referred to as the nail in the box for grunge, but if you ask me, they were the entire coffin. Wow. wow. Um part Oof. of that was that they formed in nineteen ninety, started playing live in like nineteen ninety one got a record contract in 1992, 1993, they're headlining arena shows. Wow. And the guy from the Flaming Lips was like, it was just too quick. They weren't ready mm -hmm. to be the headliner. But a lot of that was because the bigger bands were falling apart. And a huge element of that was that Alice in Chains was supposed to be the opening band for Metallica and supposed to play at Woodstock when Metallica went to Woodstock. And then... Lane Staley checked into rehab and Allison Chains broke up and they needed a quick replacement and Maverick pushed for, for Candlebox to be that replacement hmm. and it opened up a ton of opportunities for them to play for a huge crowd and then from that came them being able to do their own tours. Yeah. Can you blame them? Yeah, why not take the opportunity? Who in that opportunity would be like, oh no, I don't think we're new enough yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mike apparently bought their CD. I feel like that was one that everybody had. Yeah, was oh, that right? I think it it came with the Collective Soul CD. <laughs> I was gonna say that was one that everybody had, and then every used CD store had a few years. Later. I thought <laughs> I thought Mike was gonna come in here, guns blazing, defending Candlebox. 
No, so I picked that song. Like Matt sent me a list of a bunch <laughs> of one-hit wonders, and right. I made the mistake last time I picked Tom Cochran. Uh-huh. And then you guys told me like, okay, now you have to listen to all his other songs too. Mm-hmm. And that was like a punishment. Okay. <laughs> and I, I hated that. So this time... I listened to a ton. You found a song that moved you. I found one. <laughs> I still do like that song. But so I listened to all those one hits, Wonders, and I was like, whose catalog do I want to hear more of? In mm-hmm. Candlebox, that, that song was the one that I just, I kept listening to it because I wanted to. Okay. It, it holds up. Well, interesting for anyone who hasn't heard it. I don't think, I don't think Mike wanted to hear it before this episode. But if you go back, Kevin... Martin was on Krista makes a podcast talking about this song and I never really thought much of this song. I don't think I like despised it, but I don't think I especially liked it either. But by the end of that episode, I'm like, damn, I like that song now because it's so interesting. First of all, that song was intended to just be a demo. It was a demo that went on to sell. They went on to sell 4 million albums or something off of the back of a demo recording Yeah, where he just went into the booth without any real idea of what, maybe he had a few ideas, melody ideas or whatever, and just sang. And that's what came out of him. And it was in response to Andrew Wood. Is that the guy's name? Yeah, from Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone dying. And that was like an influence of his. And he just spilled his guts into the mic. And that take is what became the song that we all know. It wasn't overthought. It was just stream of consciousness off the cuff. So another cool thing about that same story is reportedly when he was recording that demo, one of the head A&R guys from Maverick was in the studio at the time Mm -hmm. and reportedly looked at another person from Maverick and just said, as he was recording that demo, said, this guy's going to make us millionaires. Wow. (laughs) Like, apparently that one recording was such a powerful thing to witness Hmm. that they were just like, uh, like dollar signs appeared in their eyeballs at the recording of this song. Wow. So was this one of the first songs he'd ever written? This is their debut album, right? Yeah. And um, it's it's taken from a demo, which would have even been it's before. It is the demo. Yeah, it is the, the demo. They never re-recorded it no. for a studio thing. Right. It was a situation where it was like, well, you're not going to top that. Don't go try to like emulate that. You, th- The real emotion is in there. And I mean, I think the the thing for me personally is just kind of like his vocal tone is very much that it's not the that the, 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 the yeah, yeah he doesn't have that thing that a lot yeah. of the thing he doesn't really have that but he still has a this quality to his voice that reminds me of that era a lot a lot of what I didn't like about it but it doesn't mean he's a bad singer it's just that I have specific tastes and. The, what he does wasn't really my thing, but I, I think that's really cool to just go in there and basically freestyle sing and have that song become a hit. Yeah. yeah he's got some like Lane Staley to him, but it's like if Lane Staley had like a normal younger brother with like a, not a cool name, like Lane. Yeah. Like Joe Staley. <laughs> Joe Staley. That's, isn't that a football coach? Uh, Joe, I think Joe, it's offensive lineman. Okay. Maybe. Joe yeah. Staley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, I definitely like Candlebox. Oh, here we go, hot take. I definitely like Candlebox more than Alice in Chains, who I famously do not like. <laughs> you do famously dislike Alice in Chains. I would say I think that this song is better than any Alice in Chains song, but I think the overall Alice in Chains catalog is stronger than the Mike Candlebox loves catalog. Alice in Chains. Well, me and Chris were at a, a campfire <laughs> not too long ago, and 
bunch of people sitting around it. No one could agree on anything. Like we were arguing about Nirvana. Somebody yeah. didn't like Nirvana. Chris didn't like Alice in Chains. The one band we all, the whole campfire agreed on was Candlebox. Everybody got excited. Really? I, did I get excited about Candlebox? Maybe you, maybe you were in the bathroom. Okay. Interesting. I thought you did. Everybody you, got excited about Candlebox. Side note, I want to paint a picture because I I don't know why this entertains me so much. I mentioned earlier this song peaked at 18. Undeniable top 20 hit, right? I want us to imagine for a second, Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. He's doing his countdown. This is the order that he has to announce the week that this song peaks. He's he's coming out of Amy Grant's Lucky One, which is a song I have no clue what that sounds like. Yeah, you don't know that one? I know Baby Baby. Baby, I'm the lucky one. Okay, so you don't know that one? he's fading out a lucky one, and he says, you know, all right, ladies and gentlemen, now Candlebox, dun, far behind. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Song plays, Candlebox ends, and then he has to go, all right, next up we have the 69 boys with Tootsie Roll. <laughs> that that would have been that would have been one of those situations where Casey Kasem would have started cussing at, at, at his... <laughs> What the fuck is this? <laughs> you ever hear the famous Casey Kasem? No. Uh, oh my God, it's great. You got to look it up. Maybe Matt's going to have to put it in the episode. I, I've put it in several podcast episodes at this point. Now, we're up to our long distance dedication. And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio. And here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's come start again. From coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? Please. <clears throat> See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions, and then you got to go into somebody dying... You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but God damn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. This was one song below 69 Boys Tootsie Roll? <laughs> yeah. 69 Boys is very, very good name for also, a band. Also, pretty solid top five list. Uh, the top five was When I See You by Babyface. Stay, I Miss You by Lisa Loeb. Mm. All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Endless Love by Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey. And the number one song, Making Babies All Across 1994, Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. Wow. Okay. Wow. Candlebox and I'll Make Love to You were on the same. Casey Kasem had to talk about both of those and the 69 boys on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a wild day for Casey. Do, do you like any other Candlebox songs, Mike? Well, I love you. Which well, I just figured out I today. I love you too. You, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? What is that? The song where I was like, "Oh yeah, I know this yeah. song." I'll die for you. Oh yeah. And I'll die for you. This pain in my, my heart is real. real. And uh, okay, yeah, that song's all right. Which I found out on the your other podcast that that song is about himself. Oh. Which I can't wrap my head around because he's saying you, but it's about. Me, it's hard to even explain. So you you did hear the Kevin Martin episode of Krista Makes Podcast. I, I listened to it before I came over. Okay. Wow. I want to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Right. So maybe you can remember this, because I listened to it when that episode dropped, and I don't remember. Is is far behind from the perspective of heroin? Yeah. Which, okay. That right. blows my mind, too. I forgot about that. Because I'm looking at the lyrics, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like he's writing it from the perspective of like what drug addiction tells you. 
because it's like maybe I didn't treat you bad, but I did it. I didn't mean to treat you bad, but I did it anyway. Maybe some would say your life was sad, but you lived it anyway. Maybe your friends, they stand around and watch you crumble as you falter to the ground. But then some days your friends stand beside you as if you were flying and you were flying. Like it kind of has that feeling of like a drug trying to convince you like you can't trust your friends. but You can trust me. Mm -hmm. I'm always here for you. Right. I I mean, it's pretty freaking good that he came up with that off the top of his head, influenced by the loss of a influence. I don't know if he was... was he friends with him? I think maybe he knew he, him. He said that he was one of the of the people who came into that shoe store. Andrew Wood was the most consistent hmm. and like friendly to him. Mother Love Bone. Yeah. But then I went and investigated Mother Love Bone. And I'm like, I I don't get Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone is one of those bands that I would put in the same category as like when you look at Jane's Addiction, where it's like they were the band that kind of started what would turn into like a nirvana and i mean directly pearl jam half of the band is pearl jam um Mm -hmm. but like i think it's more just that they were doing something cool that no one else was doing and then that slowly turned into like what became the seattle music scene that blew up in the 90s gotcha the thing we've said it before it historically it doesn't pay to be the first person that creates a new sound yeah definitely (laughs) and mother love bone was was that yeah (laughs) okay yeah, that that's cool. And also, throwing it back to the whole Courtney Love thing, that might be a reason to even like Candlebox more. <laughs> Is that they? Oh, well, that was the other thing. I forgot to. I forgot that I wrote this down. So not only did Courtney Love just slam them like uh-huh. hard, as soon as her interview came out, they had to do an interview, and to fuck with her for the photo with their interview, it's just all of them dressed like Courtney Love. Wow. <laughs> and apparently, she was pissed. I mean. What amazing press yeah. that someone notoriously, well, maybe at that point people didn't dislike her as much as they eventually did. I think this was a post-Kurt death thing. So I'm sure, because 94, that's like right on that cusp. It could have been right before or right after. Um, mm-hmm. But I think people always disliked Courtney Love. Yeah, I think she always was looked at as like, whole wouldn't be on MTV if she wasn't dating Kurt Cobain wow. type attitude. Wow. But- but Hole actually had a few good songs. No, they I had think a good that those album first too. two. Yeah. I, I think that first album's really good. And I actually think Celebrity Skin isn't a bad album either. Hmm. I think that opening, that first single is awesome. That, the, that what's it, yeah. oh, make me over. That's a good song. That's a great song. It is. It is. Uh, but what I'm saying is that, <laughs> you know, if someone's going to talk shit on you might as well be someone that a lot of people don't like. Cause you could be like, Hey, you know, yeah. this part, you know, if it's someone that everyone likes and they're talking shit on you, that's a whole different thing. But you know, I think that could only serve to benefit them. Right? Yes. I think that's true. I want, <laughs> was there, am I wrong in thinking there was some sort of Madonna versus Courtney love thing too, at some point? I'm sure that there was a somebody <laughs> versus Courtney love for everybody. Because I'm just saying that like Madonna signed them, that that could be another factor I'm in gonna, this. I'm going to Google real quick. Madonna, Courtney love. I felt like there was something at MTV that happened to one of the award shows or something like Courtney love stormed the stage while Madonna was there or something. Yeah. Watch Courtney love hijack Madonna's TV exactly. interview. Exactly. But that was in 1995. So that was after 
That was after Candlebox. Well, okay. Well, she hated that Madonna signed Candlebox, right? That's true. At the 1995 MTV Video Music Awards held at New York, blah, 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 blah. Instead, thanks to the fabulously messy piece of car trash television, Holes Courtney Love and the Queen of Pop Madonna were the talk of the town at the night's after party. The drama unfolded after Love gate-crashed a post-show interview with Kurt Lauder uh, that was conducted with Madonna, grabbing the pair's attention by chucking her makeup at the pop legend. I remember that. I, I feel like I've seen that that not that long ago. Yeah, but. and Madonna commented, Courtney loves in dire need of attention right now. Please give yep. it to her. Yep, yep. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Dude, 90s MTV. Man, that was the best. <laughs> it felt like anything could happen. It was That was fun. When they would go live, it was like... That, I think that's what made the Video Music Awards so much fun and what doesn't exist now is like, you know, Kurt Cobain could just start playing Great Me for a couple bars sure. because he was told not to. Right. And it felt like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Are they going to cut to commercial? Like, yeah. Yeah, there's no edge anymore on MTV. There's it, it, also there no, no TV MTV. on MTV. There's also it, no MTV. It's just it ridiculous. The station. It it exists. It just plays the show ridiculousness, which you should never watch. It's terrible. And uh, Teen Mom. There's the only things on MTV now. Well, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Those are literally. It'll play like Teen Mom for like 12 hours straight, and then like 12 hours straight of ridiculousness. That's yeah. all it is. You can find depending on what type of like cable you have or what app you have, you can find channels that are like. MTV hip hop and they just play like old school hip hop videos or whatever. You can find those, which that's cool, but it's not, you know, there's no like MTV. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. We're making an ad. Napping ads. I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad! That's the ad. That's the ad. 
Mike, did you like the rock and jock games? I, I did. I did. I bet you did. Especially the uh, the basketball where you could have like a 25-point shot. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Did you like MTV Spring Break? Loved Spring Break. I, I wasn't like encouraged to watch it. Oh. Um, so you kind of had to like watch it and be on little edge. Oh, wow. I mean, no one encouraged me to watch, but no one detracted me from watching it either. I actually taped it. I definitely had VHS tapes that are like just spring break, like for hours straight, whatever it was. I just taped it, you know, the live performances. Uh, Do you think that if we could go back in time that you would be on the grind? Um, No, I definitely (laughs) would not be on the grind. You wouldn't. I I like Eric Neese, but I, I think I liked him more on the real world. Would you have been on Singled Out? No, I feel like that wasn't my my time. I was never um they never picked me. They never picked you? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm asking if you would have been, but again. Was that with Jenny McCarthy? Yeah, and Chris Hardwick. You didn't watch Singled Out? No, I definitely watched it. What what was Chris Hardwick? He what now he does uh Walking did, Dead? Yeah, he did Talking Dead. Okay, I never put that together. Yeah, that's him. Uh but this is right Candlebox is right in the thick of that time. That's why I'm asking these things. The state, Beavis and Butthead, all the good stuff right in this Candlebox era. I wonder if Candlebox was on Beavis and Butthead, actually. You probably... I'll go look and see. I'm sure they probably pulled it off. So So let's think about this band on Madonna's label. They're playing Woodstock 94. Yeah. They're opening for Metallica. And then... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's strange to me. They Woodstock '94 was a big. De- Did you watch Woodstock '94 or yeah. at least have this, the the triple CD? Yes. Yep. Uh, did you watch the Candlebox performance? At it? <laughs> I don't. I can't remember watching the Candlebox Woodstock. I can't remember a Candlebox video. Mm. I can just remember liking the song, but they don't have any like lasting images. And even their like the lead singer is kind of morphed into Ugly Kid Joe's lead singer in my head. Mm. Like, they just didn't have the, I guess they didn't have the look. Candlebox was on Beavis and Butthead twice. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm Yeah, I'm surprised playing Woodstock 94, touring with Metallica, these are like as big as you can get type things. Plus, the song was huge. I think, that, I'm pretty sure they sold 4 million copies of that album. I'm pretty sure that's right. I think that's correct. And they had, I mean, three really good songs on that with Cover Me being the, the third one. Hmm, I don't think I know that one, but- Okay. Well, it was covered on Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I can categorically tell you that much. And yeah, it was four times platinum wow. at the time of its release. Four million. And then copies. the next album, I mean, look, nothing wrong with going gold, but the next album was gold after a four times so platinum release. So they sold each. one eighth as many. So man, it's hard. That has to be hard to chase that dragon. When you sold four million copies, how do you top that? You can only hope to even come in the ballpark of that because that is outlandish amount of of albums to sell. And and that album that they put out Lucy um it's it's a real interesting one because I know some people who who would swear by that album. Wait, wait, is that the next album? Yeah, the second album's called Lucy and people would swear by that album of like they finally really like found their footing. But then there's other people like critically that are just like this is the worst shit. Hmm. that has ever been released in the history of wow. the radio. Like, I think Entertainment Weekly wrote something along the lines of, like, just when you thought God wouldn't punish us more, 
Wow. <laughs> like, like it was like critics were fucking mean about Candlebox. Um, that had that simple lesson song that we checked out the other night. That was it was fine. But even the uh, the lead singer Kevin said we rushed way too quickly into that album. I could see like that. they're at their peak in 1994 playing Woodstock 94 and this new album of new songs comes out in 95 and I think they didn't even road test the songs. It was just like they wrote the songs, they went in the studio, they recorded it and then no one heard any of those songs live until after it came out. So mm -hmm. they hadn't tested any of those songs in front of an audience. Hmm. I think one of my main complaints about them probably then, probably now would be that there's nothing special about the way they sound. There's nothing no. that I haven't heard before. I think this song is really cool in the fact that there's so much emotion behind it. The perspective of being from the voice of the drug is really cool. I think it's awesome that it was like the story of this particular song. Even that guitar riff that plays throughout it is cool. Yeah. That dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's, it is good. That it, it's good, but it's not something that like sticks out to me as something I haven't heard before. Like really, this is a song you could easily mistake for literally any other rock band that yeah, was playing sure, at the time. Sure, yeah, that would be my critique of Candlebox, and it would probably be the vocals that were sort of of that time that weren't really my thing. Nothing about the music really stood out to me a lot. That would be my critique of the band. But I don't think, I, I don't, the hate is what's surprising to me because I, I don't see a lot to hate here either. Yeah. I, I think it's inoffensive. Mm -hmm. I think that that self-titled album is pretty good. Like all things, I don't think it's like a masterpiece, but like, I don't hate it. I've put it on on a drive before and been like, this is fine. I'm surprised Mike doesn't absolutely love it. No, it so like, I, yeah, I thought that Mike was going to be like throwing fists. Yeah. No, I, I really do like it. I, I think if you, you give that song to anybody, though, I think it's a hit. Really? I think it's that good. Wow. Hmm. And if you give it to somebody like Bon Jovi. Oh. I think it's like iconic. It goes to number one. Oh, it's still number one. I oh wow, interesting. I never thought about Bon Jovi doing this song. Yeah. Now pick maybe. up that guitar and play it. Like yeah, yeah. we had Paul pick up. Can you pick up the guitar and play it in, bon in the style of Bon Jovi for us, Mike? Um, so something that I thought was interesting was that after their third album, it didn't sell well. Also, and the band broke up shortly after that. But Kevin has said that they didn't really break up at that time they thought that they were pulling a move which was that they wanted to be released from maverick records mm. before they had to do their fourth album and he's like we cannot we like conceived this plan we're like we'll break up and that will end our contract and then we can reunite in like a year mm -hmm. and put out the music we want to put out without maverick getting in the way but what they ultimately ended up finding out was like Oh no, those contracts are written in a way that's like Candlebox might be gone, but now Kevin's on the hook to have yeah. to write another album. And they basically just, he wrote it out until about two or three years had passed. And then Maverick just put out the best of Candlebox <laughs> and that like fulfilled oh. the contract. And then they reunite it pretty much right after that. Okay. But at this point in time, at the time this episode comes out, they have just released their final album. They're in the middle of their final tour. 
and it's pretty much just Kevin and a bunch of hired guns oh. at this point. But I think it's been more like a, the other dudes have just like he said during that time that they were like fake broken up. A lot of them went to college. Finally, a lot of them like started families. So like by the time that three or four year period of like their big game plan followed through, a lot of them had established a life that they're like, I can't just like and I, and pack I, up a bounce. Yeah. And I already did the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if if Kevin, which I'm assuming was the main songwriter, yeah, then it then that even takes it even further where it's like, look. I'm not going to dedicate my life to playing your song after all these years. I, I get that. And it's funny too, because as we're recording this, they're actually playing in Pittsburgh tonight, tonight. <laughs> and on the day we're recording this, that we, instead of going to man, has this ever been the, this might be the first time in human history where three people got together to do an entire podcast episode about a band instead of going to their show <laughs> that night. Uh, that's it might be the first time it's ever happened. I think I think that's very possible. Yeah. I mentioned to Chris that I thought about getting all three of us tickets mm-hmm. to go to it <laughs> and he gave me this look like don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I like some candle box, but you know what I like more? Sitting on a couch yeah, and we, going to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> we might have had fun. Yeah. I don't know how much fun would we have had? I What do you think the crowd would have been like? Well, I think the crowd would have been our age or older. Definitely older. Dudes. A lot of dudes. Lot of yeah, dudes. I don't think that there's a huge female fan base for Candlebox. I, I mean, there might have been some old rocker ladies. <laughs> but I'd I mean, say 75, 25 guys. Okay, I'd agree with that. I would think that a lot of long hair, maybe some bandanas. Bunch of old vintage concert shirts mm. in the crowd. Mm. Yeah. Bunch of dudes wearing shirts of like, I was there when type stuff without having to say it. Mm-hmm. I bet you, yeah, it would. And also I, I could see it being a lot of like pretty normal guys who like work in an office, you know, like n- not people that look like they're in a band themselves, just like normal dudes who had the CD when they were 14 and, and what do you think? Okay. So let's, let's say, what do you think the percentage is? of people going because they absolutely are diehard Candlebox fans Hmm. versus the percentage of people going because the tickets aren't crazy expensive and they vaguely remember liking the songs you and far behind from when they were younger. I think it could be a smooth even 50-50. I just think that they didn't release enough music to have those really die hard they they sold a lot of what they did release you're saying even if the next album was gold they sold probably like five million albums that's a lot but you're you're talking probably at max 30 some songs and you know that some of those are just going to be album tracks that are not that memorable right i i want to check something real quick i'm going to pull up setlist fm Mm. One of the things that I love about Setlist FM, and I don't know if Candlebox is, is of the level that they'll do this, but you can um, you can get a breakdown of what percentage of songs that year came from what albums. Like it'll be like of all the set lists this year, ninety percent of their set list is the self title. Wow. Like okay, it's a. I'm not finding that, but what I am finding is what their most played songs are, and. Boy, are none of these surprises. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you... It's Far Behind, played 559 times. 
you played 528 times, Change played 508 times, Cover Me played 493 times, and Arrow played 424 times. All five of those off the self-titled. Arrow being the one that might seem like an outlier, but it's actually the song that is on the Woodstock 94 live double Uh album for Candlebox. So yeah, there... I bet you go there. As long as you have that first album, I think you're going to be all right. Yeah. I I think you're going to be doing just fine. Do you think they close with Far Behind? Oh, they have to, right? I mean, unless they open with it. Let's see. Nah, they got to close. And then everyone, as soon as that opening guitar starts, you know people are psyched. They don't end with Far Behind. Wow. They play Far Behind and then end with you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, because Far Behind's kind of a little bit of a downer. You seems a little less of a downer, right? Yeah, you want to send them home a little bit happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that I die for you. Yes, I die. That's a good. That's a good closer. But yeah, I figured those would have been the last couple there. Um, okay, Candlebox, Thunder or Blunder? How we, how we feel about this? I. We'll go first. Sure. I <laughs> I like that self-titled. I actually don't hate Lucy. I remember having that album for a little bit, too. Uh, they definitely trickled out uh, and kind of just petered out of existence a little bit for me. But like, I will give this the most gentle of thunders. <laughs> I would say thunder. a light thunder. It's a light, it's a light drizzle out there. Um, you know who I would compare this to? Actually, kind of the same way I felt about a band like Cracker, where I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, I like enough of their other songs besides the hit that I can't call them a blunder, but case in point, they are playing about 45 minutes from here for under 20 bucks. And I'm still like, nah, I'm good. I'll sit here. Mm. <laughs> Mike Candlebox or cracker. No, that's a really good comparison. <laughs> They're in that same cracker candle box. Some bands that start with C. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think they sound more like Cracker than any of the grunge bands of like the Nirvana, the Stone Temple? Yeah, Pilots. I didn't even know yeah. they were from Seattle. I don't remember them ever even being lumped in with hmm. those Seattle bands. I always thought of them as a Seattle band. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, but I don't know how you feel. And you feel that they're, they're worthy of thunder, or do you think they're they're a little bit of a blunder that that they were such a such a huge band for a minute? No, I mean I think it's total thunder. I'm oh. shocked that. Matt only gave him light thunder while he also <laughs> says he likes the Lucy CD. Yeah. yeah. I I enjoyed the Lucy CD. I couldn't hum you a single song off of it. I just remember I listened to it and said, oh, this was nice. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty unlistenable. <laughs> but that, I mean, Candlebox has those three, I want to call them hits uh-huh. on that first album. It, it's kind of surprising to me that they were modern rock hits. They, they did just well on modern rock. Disappeared after that. Like, how do you write three good songs like that and then never be able uh, to duplicate it? Well, what I've heard a lot is what you make on your first album. Now, I don't know if that's the case with Candlebox, considering he kind of wrote this song on the spot, but that you have your whole life to write your first album. You know, every, every up, everything leading up to your first album, you've had, you know, all this time, but then between your first and your second, it's like, oh no, now I got to follow that up. Yeah. You know, and it sounds to me like, it sounds like Kevin said that, that they rushed that second album because they were probably, dude, they're torn with Metallica. They're playing Woodstock 94. They have a song that's crossed over onto the mainstream, not just 
rock radio. It's mainstream big. They're on Madonna's label. That's a lot of pressure to, you know, especially at this point, they're still a new band. That's what the, that's what Courtney Love is complaining about. That's what people are saying. Like they came out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're huge and they're, uh, and as much as I think that Courtney Love was being really mean, uh, that is kind of legit in the fact that, yeah, they're, they're a really new band and they, they couldn't follow it up. Right. I mean, uh, that totally checks out. That totally makes sense. So I, I don't know that that's your call, man. You know, thunder is what you want it to be. If, if you're saying thunder. No, it's a hundred percent thunder. Like mm-hmm. I said, I had that whole list and this was my favorite one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. You got a double thunder. Uh, me. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think that hearing Kevin tell the story of writing this song is the reason I like it is that it's just such a good story behind this song. And I've never in my life heard of a demo becoming a hit. I've never heard of that. It was just a one, a one take one try thing that became a hit and it was from the heart. And even if I don't necessarily want to put this on because it's not my style, I got, I got a lot of respect for that to go on to sell 4 million albums. That's, that's awesome. I'm a broken record, man. Who am I? Who am I to call Candlebox yeah. anything but Thunder? I think they did their best after. It's I don't think they'd like quit. I think they just it's it's hard to follow that up. That's magic. That's lightning in a bottle as people like to say. Uh what they achieved here and yeah, I'll go Thunder. I'll go Thunder on Candlebox. All right. Will you ever put that song on though? Will I put it on? I think maybe I would put it on a '90s party playlist if you. I was just if about you to were ask, there. <laughs> if you were throwing another '90s party, would this make it on the playlist? Um, maybe early in the party before it's that's raging. that's a pretty good call. Early in the party because I don't really want this to come on like in the real thick of it when everyone's really partying and and turn up. You know, I yeah. don't think this is. I think this could bring the mood down because it's kind of a somber song. But like as the first people are trickling yeah, into the Yeah, when you're having party. your first drinks, I could I could see this. I could see, you know, me and Mike having a drink and him looking over to me when he hears that that beginning and like giving me a look. Like I, I think you'd be surprised if it came on in the midst of the the party. I think you everybody think? would go crazy. I feel like you've said this exact same sentiment 199 episodes yeah. ago about playing Life is a Highway at a party. Mike, would you rather Life is a Highway come on or Far Behind? Far Behind. Okay. I think, though, if we're talking about a song coming on in the middle of the party, which one will get a bigger fan response? I think Life is a Highway. I think more people sing along with Life is a Highway than Far Behind. Let's think, test it out. Kind of, <laughs> kind, of, kind of somewhat ironically, they'll sing along with Life is a Highway. Matt, right? I think the party that we need to have is a one-hit th- thunder party where the whole playlist is only songs we've covered on this show. I will be back here whenever that party is. Okay. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Sensory Overload from the album Lion. Be sure to check out punchlion.com for any upcoming news with the band. Our podcast is on Patreon now. Find us at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast for early access to episodes, bonus episodes, 
and a chance to vote on future songs for us to cover. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on any podcasting app, and tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. This is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.